All right, we're going to dive in pretty quickly here this morning. Um, We're talking today about the power of grace, the power of grace. Um, You know, in my mind, when I'm thinking through kind of sermons and where we're going, you know, I always want kind of each Sunday to to stand alone, right? Like God has something to say to us today. I'm, I'm hoping and believing for that. But I also do want to say that, that things that we've covered over the last several weeks, we've talked about the power of the gospel. We've talked about the power of love, that there is a new way for us to live, and it's the way of love. And then last Sunday, we focused on the power of community, what church community is really meant to look like. And I, I just want to say to you, um, as we move into this issue of grace this morning, what I I hope we can all receive is the fact that it's God's grace that enables us to walk the rest of that out. Like I have access to the gospel of Jesus that changes my life because of the power of grace. I'm able to not only experience the love of God, but share the love of God because of God's grace in my life, enabling me to have something I just don't have in and of myself. And man, you talk about living in community with other broken people. Anybody know we need some grace for that? (laughs) I guarantee y'all need some grace to put up with me. And I got news for you. I need some grace to put up with you. So we need grace to live in community. And so I'm really hoping as we dive into this this morning um, that God would really capture our heart with this and just remind us of the goodness of his grace um, and maybe even kind of pour a fresh measure of that in, into our lives today. So that's, that's what I'm hoping for. One other thing I want to say, and then we'll jump into this directly. Um, I, I don't feel like I do this very often, um, but I just want to say, if, if you're a part of our church, you go to our church, and you missed last Sunday's message, please go back and watch. You can watch it on our website. You can just listen to the audio. If you're like me and listen when you're mowing the grass or you're on a drive, Um, You can listen from our website. You can download the podcast. I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, We talk very specifically about what community means. And it's just important to me as a pastor that, guys, we're aligned in our thinking about what it means to be a church family. And so I just would encourage you to take the time and go back and, and check that out. All right, well, let me pray one more time, and then let's invite the Lord to come speak to us about his grace. May May we get a deeper sense of it what it is, and how he wants that to play out in our hearts. And so I'm I'm believing the word of God would really be open to us this morning. And so, Father, we just come before you and thank you that whether we realize it or not, it's because of your graciousness that we can talk to you this morning. It's because of your graciousness that we can be called your children. Jesus, we thank you for the incredible work of grace that you have invited us into the family of God. You've made a way for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would make it clear to us today. God, there's, there's an element of your grace that is just beyond our wildest imagination. It blows our minds. It's, it's mysterious. It's incomprehensible. Paul acknowledges this. But also, God, your, your grace is meant to be something real and tangible, that is like an anchor in our lives. And so God, would you fill us with with wisdom, with knowledge, with understanding, 
about who you are and about the grace that you have extended to us. May this be real in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we were reading through Paul's letters to the Galatians and the Ephesians this week. Um, and both of these books, both of these letters, are like permeate with this, this idea of grace, the grace of God, and how that operates in our lives. And so we're going to be drawing some stuff from both of these letters this morning. Um, but one thing that I just thought was interesting, right at the beginning, they both open in really similar ways. In fact, in both of Paul's letters here, there's an identical sentence. And so let's start by looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. He's opening his letter to the Ephesian church, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. In fact, if you, if you pay attention for this phrase throughout the New Testament, it just shows up over and over again as Paul and others are communicating with God's church. That it's just, it's easy to read it and think it's just some kind of like little signature or just like quick saying. Like, you know, we have those sayings that we don't even really think about what they mean anymore. We just sort of say them. And we can miss the fact that like Paul is wanting to communicate to us grace and peace. Like that's what God has for us. And so he's saying, Church, listen, I want you to receive the grace that comes from God. And peace is so often connected with it because if we understand the grace that is available and we receive it in our lives and like it gets down in here, if it lands and it takes root, I mean, the byproduct is the pressure's off. I can breathe. I can walk in freedom. I can walk in new life. You know, stepping into a relationship with Jesus, you know, absolutely there are seasons of difficulty and struggle. There's, there's suffering in the kingdom. But friends, the gospel is good news. It's good tidings of great joy that are for all people. And what's the message? It's peace with God and peace in the midst of a chaotic life. And so it is the grace of God that pours out this peace in our hearts. And so Paul opens his letter that way to the Ephesians. And then, man, I, I thought about reading through these this morning, and just for the sake of time, I didn't. But I would encourage you, on your own, go back and read the next several verses, verses 3 through 14. And then you can even flip over again to chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And, and it's these passages where Paul gives this, like, soaring explanation of grace. I mean, it's just this rich, full paragraph. And by the time you're done reading it, most likely your feeling will be, I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> Paul said so much, I'm not even sure what all he's talking about there. But it's like he just, he gets overcome by the grace of God and he's in awe of it. And so he just starts going on and on about what God's grace does and what it means. And he's saying it's like, it's unimaginable. It's mind-blowing. And friends, I'm convinced that many of us have just, have settled for a lesser than grace. If the grace we're thinking of isn't amazing, it's not grace. I mean, what's like the most famous Christian hymn ever? Amazing grace. 
I bet we could just sing it right now from memory and you might not even remember how you first learned that song. I, I've seen that song in movies that have nothing to do with God's grace and yet they're in them. Amazing grace. It, the, it captures, that song captures our hearts. We know it. it's such a famous hymn. But, but is grace really amazing to us? Friends, my hope and prayer this morning, I, I plan on this being a pretty straightforward, practical message, something that we can just, we can use, you know, something I can wrap my arms around and go, hey, this is real practical stuff I can apply in my life. But guys, right from the top, I just wanna say, the grace of God that's available to us, it's mind-blowing. I think all too often our, our Christian faith, we're, we're settling for like, what are the things I need to get by? You know, how can I make it through the week that's ahead? How can I make it through this next season that I'm facing? But the grace of God that's available to us, he's got stuff in store for us that's beyond our wildest imagination. His love, his presence, his power in our lives. And so friends, I just wanna encourage you Dare to believe that God's grace is that good. Dare to believe that God's grace really is something amazing. That it's not, it's not just a word that I associate with a moment in my life where maybe I first came to Jesus. I mean, th thank goodness for the grace of God that he does bring us to that place of giving our heart to him of being rescued and saved. But grace wasn't about just bringing us to that one moment and leaving us there. Friends, the grace of God that saves us at the moment of salvation, it is now his grace that sustains us and empowers us as we move forward in this life. And so I wanna talk to you guys about three specific things that grace does for us this morning. All right, and to kind of set the tone for this, I want, now want to flip over to Galatians, and we're going to start with the same sentence we just read in Ephesians, but now in Galatians. I want to read Galatians chapter 1, verses 3, and the first part of verse 4. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. This is what is available. Rescue from the world we live in, from the challenges we face in this life, from the evil that exists in this world, the, the evil that has ripped me off personally in my own life, the sin that so easily entangles. And listen, the evil that just permeates this life that gets on me challenges with other people, overwhelming circumstances in this world. Guys, evil that inserts into this world like disease, illness, sickness. The grace of God is available to deliver us from this present evil age. And so, so Paul gives us kind of this simple, clear explanation of what's immediately available. And then friends, the next thing he does is tell the Galatians, be careful, you're missing it. Check this out, Verses, verse six now, Galatians 1, six. 
He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Guys, there is, there is something in us inherently where grace and the gospel of Jesus gets easily distorted. Even if we had a, a moment of clarity, we've had seasons of life where it's clear and real to us, and I'm, I'm experiencing the grace of God, it can so easily be distorted. Part of it is we do a bad job of representing grace to one another. And so just harm that we've experienced within the body of Christ has distorted grace. That's a lot of what Paul's talking about here is there are voices that are coming in that are saying incorrect things. There are experiences they're having together that are ripping them off from the grace of God. But it can be easily distorted. Uh, I was reminded of this this morning. So was anybody up around like seven this morning? You don't actually have to raise your hand if, if you were still in bed sleeping. There was like a 10 or 15 minute window where what the sun was doing with the clouds that were in the sky was just glorious. It was like this orangey, purple, really incredible thing going on. And the Lord reminded me of, of this really funny, obnoxious moment from my adult life. So um, I was on a trip kind of through Ohio to see some family, and several of us were traveling together. And we're driving, and we're driving kind of at that, like, early morning hours moment, right? And as we're driving along, I look over and I say, man, doesn't the moon look so cool right now? It, it was the sun <laughs> starting to rise. But because of the way the sky was, it was, like, incredibly dim. Like, it had some cool color to it, but it was incredibly dim. I thought the moon was just looking really, really cool, and it was kind of one of those moons where it hadn't quite you know, gone down yet. And so I was like, doesn't it look so cool? And immediately a couple people in the car are like, bro, that's the sun. Like, you're wrong. Did I immediately receive that correction and go, oh yeah, you're right. I'm an idiot. You're right. It's the sun. No. <laughs> I resisted that correction. I insisted that it was the moon. And I believed I was going to be proven right very quickly. I was proven wrong very quickly. As the moon became larger and moved up in the sky and got a lot brighter, eventually I had to admit that is definitely the sun shining, not the moon, and had to eat some humble pie. I can be a little stubborn sometimes. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. I just had this distorted view of what I was looking at, but I'm looking at it. It's right there. But I misunderstood the very thing I was looking at. In fact, I was saying it was the moon when it was the much brighter, more glorious sun. But I think we do that with grace. We minimize it. Um, we act like grace sort of brings us to this moment and then now I set it aside and like onward Christian soldier, you know, marching through life in my own strength and effort and energy. Um, and so I get ripped off from grace. I rip off other people from grace because I'm, I'm losing sight of how glorious it is. Grace needs to be not only something that captures our vision, but that holds our vision. Guys, th this life that we live with Jesus, it's meant to be a life of grace. 
And so I have to purpose to allow the grace of God to, to permeate my life. That, it, that it's his grace that sustains me and gets me through. That I hold on to the glory of who he is and what he has done. Friends, there are plenty of ways that we are called to live out what God's called us to. There are plenty of ways that we're called to cooperate with the Lord. But, but all too often, we do that on our own. In our own strength, and our own striving, and God never intended that for us. He intended for us to receive and enjoy and live by his grace. And so I want to look at three things that grace does for us this morning. Number one, grace brings freedom for a new life. Picking up here still in Galatians chapter 4 now, verses 8 and 9. Formerly, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? He's saying the grace of God showed up and it set you free from, from old places where you were stuck. You were trapped, you were enslaved, you've been set free from that. And yet he's talking to believers here, Christians here, and he's saying, guys, you're returning back to some of those old principles again of this life. You're falling into old patterns. It's, it's easy to do, but you were meant to experience freedom. Don't fall for slavery when Jesus called you to freedom. And so what, what are we free from? There are two basic patterns of slavery that Paul addresses here. In Galatians, the first is that we are free from the works of the law, Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The law is good. The law points out what a good life looks like. It points out the things that can rip us off from experiencing a good life. But living a life trying to fulfill the law by the, my own striving and effort is futile. And Paul's saying it's the grace of God that's come to set us free from that striving. In fact, he's saying, what's the point of the cross? He goes on to say, what's the point of the cross? Like, we're removing the power and the beauty of the cross if we settle for that way of living. Friends, I know myself enough to know I still slip into this way of living where, where I turn the richness of what God has available for me, and I, I turn it into this striving, effort-based thing. Let me give you some examples of how that might play out. One possible example. I won't make you actually raise your hands. Like, I have this habit of saying, like, raise your hands as if this is you, but maybe just in your heart acknowledge if this is you. 
I'm sure none of you have ever done this, but you know, let's say you go a period of days or weeks or months from like maybe a faithful time of devotions, right? Like spending time in the word and prayer. When you begin to kind of wake up to the fact that maybe you've let that drift, what's the presiding emotion? Do you have a sense of like, oh man, that's something really good that I've missed. I I crave that. I can't wait to get back to that time with the Lord. I bet he can't wait for me to get back to that. Or is your presiding emotion guilt, shame, how could I drop the ball like that again? God's got to be just so annoyed and frustrated with me. Or maybe it's something like this. Maybe, maybe it's not guilt. Maybe you found yourself in a position before where you're looking at what's happening around you in your life and saying, God, everything is falling apart. I don't deserve this because I have done X, Y, and Z. I've been faithful. I've been who you've called me to be. I've done what you've called me to do. So why is this happening around me? Because somewhere along the way, I entered some bargain with God where if I do this, this, and this, it's automatically gonna produce this, this, and this. That's probably just me that's experienced that before, though. These are just a couple of examples, but, but friends, like for those, those of us that are like non-Jewish, like if we're sitting here going like, I don't feel like I'm striving to fulfill the Old Testament law. I'm not trying to like, you know, keep all of these like feasts and Sabbaths. And like, I'm not trying to do all of that. I'm not falling for that. Friends, there are ways in our life that we set aside grace and we just try to move forward on our own. And, and it, it happens and it's subtle and it creeps in slowly. But Paul's saying we gotta wake up to that and, and get free of that. God has not called us to be enslaved. And so it rips us off. And friends, it rips off the world because a lot of what the world sees when they look at the church is man, that's just a bunch of bondage. Look at all the stuff I don't get to do. Look at all these Christians who are just kind of, you know, sourpusses. Like, that looks miserable. Why would I want that? We should be the, the happiest, freest people on the planet. People should walk, walk around and see us and the peace and the joy emanating from our lives and be like, man, I don't get that. What is that? And I don't just mean because life's always good. I mean, when they see hope in us, when things are hard, not fakeness, but just a deeper sense that it's gonna be all right. Even in this storm, it's gonna be all right because God's grace is real to us and it's permeating our lives. It sets us free from works of the law. What else does it set us free from? It sets us free from sin. I'm just gonna read Galatians 5, verse 13 and then skip down to verse 17. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Look at this. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. When we become a follower of Jesus, there now is something in us that wants to experience the fullness of God's grace. 
that wants to live out in a healthy way freedom from sin. There's a new desire in us that wants to enjoy that freedom, to not be in bondage any longer. Man, to walk in peace with God, to walk in healthy relationship with each other. We want it. It's a desire that's there. But the flesh is still here with us, and it has its cravings and its desires, and it's the grace of God that sets us free from sin. Guys, this has been majorly misrepresented in the church with with a strong desire to speak against religiosity and striving to fulfill the law. The way many of us have dealt with that is by turning around and just saying grace just sort of sets us free to do whatever. And so we don't need to be calling people to holiness and righteousness and stuff like that. Because we don't understand that there's an alternative way. We just see this duality of either, well, I'm free to kind of live how I want. And she's saying, no, that's why I came to rescue you in the first place. Because that's one of the ways you were enslaved. You were enslaved to sin. But another way to be enslaved is to try to fix it and do it all yourself. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering something completely different. My grace is completely different than either of these. It's not a license to go on sinning, and it's, it's not, um, and you're no longer trapped in the burden of trying to fulfill the law. There's a new way, and it's the way of my grace, the way of my love for you. Friends, this, this is the picture that we're given in Luke chapter 15. When Jesus tells the story that we commonly refer to as the story of the prodigal son, you guys familiar with that story? I really think a better description of that story is either the prodigal of the two lost brothers or the story of the loving father would be a better way to cast that story. Because we often tell the story with only the first part, but Jesus is presenting two ways of being lost. Friends, I hope you hear this. Both of those brothers grew up in a house of grace. They grew up around a loving, good father. And one of them wanted to take advantage of that gracious father to just get what I want out of life and go pursue whatever desires I can get out there apart from the father. And so he said, give me my inheritance now before you even die. I want what's coming to me. I'm out of here. And use that grace as a license to live a life that pulled him away from the place of grace. And while it might have been fun for a season, where did he end up? Starving and living with the pigs. But friends, there's another brother in this story. And he grew up in this house of grace. And yet his mentality, we see when the prodigal returns... And he views his life as just this laborious thing. I have never left you, Father, and I have faithfully served you. And you've never once allowed me to even have a goat to go out and have a party with my friends. Friends, it is possible to reside in the house of grace and have a heart that is distant from the Father of grace. And that elder brother had never truly experienced the joy of his father's presence. He viewed living in that home as something that he was just trudging through. And his definition of a party was leaving the dad. Did you notice that in the story? You never gave me a goat, so I go celebrate with my friends. 
He said that while there was a party happening in his dad's house that he was invited to. And he didn't want to go in and join the party. Guys, Jesus' grace is so good. And it is available to set us free from broken ways of thinking. Friends, if if you find your, your heart pulled away from the house of God, the presence of God, I'm not just talking about like a gathering like this. I mean, if you feel like the things you're looking for, that they're out there somewhere, I gotta go out there and find them. Or if you feel like staying home and following Jesus is just about doing the right thing. I'm just, I'm gonna be faithful and do the right thing. And I'm gonna do the right thing even if it kills me. (laughs) The presence of God is good. His house is a place to party and to celebrate. It's a place where freedom is enjoyed and it's extended to those in need. Let's learn to live in the house of grace and receive freedom. Friends, I can tell you about this, but grace is not a gift from Paul and it's not a gift from Pastor Jake. I can't hand it to you. You know how grace comes? It's a gift from God. And he has it for you and he has it for me. And so if we ever recognize times in our life where my heart is pulled away out there to some desire that's out there, or I'm trudging in my walk with Jesus, it's a moment to recognize I'm in need of grace. And thank God that he is a loving father of grace that extends it freely. So how do I experience this grace to have freedom? We experience the freedom of grace and this new way of life through death. It's probably why we miss it. Galatians 2, verse 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now, or sorry, I put the now too early. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, the essential quality of grace is this. It is found and experienced in the presence of God. If we separate grace from the God of grace, we're missing it. Grace is not this thing that he gives us. Grace is him giving us himself. Grace is the empowering presence of God. That's what grace is, the empowering presence of God. It is more than just God giving me mercy when I need it. It is his presence available in my life empowering me. And so the way that I'm gonna experience freedom, his presence. And so I die to an old way of living and I accept a new way of living. Christ in me is the hope of glory. That's it. That's it. Now we can understand that 
But guys, this is like a, a mysterious thing. Like my, like my life is in Jesus now. I'm his. I belong to him. And he's for me and with me and in me. You know who never sinned? Jesus. He never sinned. And the God who never sinned is saying, now, now you can have your life hidden and wrapped up in me. I can give you the freedom you long for. And the more that you're with me and you taste my grace, you're gonna realize all these desires that stir up in your heart, they far outweigh whatever the enticement of sin might be. And that need to prove yourself, to strive, to earn my approval, you're gonna see you already have it. You're here, you're with me, I'm with you, I love you. And so grace enables us to experience gospel power. This is what we talked about week one. This is gospel power. Freedom from the law, freedom from sin, it's found in the presence of God. The question is, am I willing to realize that number one, his death, his crucifixion has already taken care of it. That's why his grace is extended to me because he's done it. And so then number two, am I willing for the things that rip me off and keep me from experiencing the grace of God, am I willing to let those things die? That's the question. Will I let those things die? He is faithful and just to take care of it. He'll take care of it. In his presence, there's freedom from sin and works of the law. Number two, these last two will be a little quicker. Grace produces health and growth. So not only does it bring freedom, grace produces health and growth. I want to go back to a verse that we read to kind of set the tone of this. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are set free from the old way of living in order to experience the way of love. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It is the grace of God that enables me to experience the way of love. And so how does that look? How does that work? Well, I'm gonna skip down to... Um, are you with me back there? I'm gonna skip down to Galatians 5.25. All right, here's how this works. I am being called into the way of love, and so I experience it like this, Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if it is the grace of God and the presence of God that has brought me into new life, it defeated this old way of living. It set me free from sin. It set me free from striving. I am now experiencing the presence of God. The way I live this out is now walking with him every single day. What's the preceding verses, right? What's Galatians chapter five known for, verses 22 and 23? We get this picture of the fruit that the presence of God produces in our lives. Friends, I want to encourage you, when you hear Spirit of God, I want you to also hear grace of God. The presence of God brings the grace of God. The Spirit of God 
pours grace into our life. And so what is the fruit of this? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what does he say? Against such there is no law. The freedom that grace offers sets us free from sin, sets us free from striving, but it frees us into something. We get to explore a whole new world. And what God has there is something good for us. And it's described as fruit. I want you to think about this. When you and I want fruit as Americans, what do we do? I'm just gonna run down to the grocery store real quick. Maybe hit up the farmer's market. It's right there. That was easy. Here's a buck. Here's an apple. Cool, that was a quick exchange. Is that how the fruit got there? No, it was a long process. And in fact, with fruit, I'm stepping out into some unfamiliar territory for me. So I'm sure in some way, there's, somebody's gonna have an example of why I'm wrong here. But generally speaking, with vegetables, it's pretty quick and seasonal, right? In the grand scheme of things. Plant in the spring, maybe harvest late summer, early fall. That's still a pretty long period of time. That's a lot longer than go to the grocery store in five minutes and have it in your hand. But it's months. But now think about fruit. I'm pretty sure you can't plant an apple tree in the spring and expect to have an apple in the fall. It's going to take a little while. It takes some time for that to grow and that to develop. When I look at the life of Jesus, you know, he went around telling all of these stories. And, and often, rightly, I think we just kind of take a story and go, okay, here's this moment, and he told this story, and here's the story, and what is he saying in that story? But what if we just step back big picture and considered for a minute all the stories he kind of told? Have you ever thought about how often he is using trees and fruit and he does, it uses wheat too. Like how, how often he's using the terminology of things that grow over time. Like over and over again. He tells the parable of the sower. But then he, then he talks about how well, like when the seed hits, like the, the ground itself can kind of decide whether or not the seed's gonna take root. But then there's another parable of a sower where he talks about the guy who sows. And now the sowing is done. It's in good soil. But now that guy's gotta wait around for a while. And he has no idea ultimately, how this process works. He waits. The sun shines, the rain comes, and over a period of time, eventually something grows. Jesus talks about um, a tree that is there and should be producing fruit, and it's not. And the guy that owns it is ready to give up on it. Like, cut that thing down, it's no good. And somebody else comes along and says, no, let's give it a little more time. Let me work on the soil around it a little bit. Let me, let me trim it up a little bit. Let's give it another season and see if it'll produce fruit. So there's this patience of hanging in there. Over and over and over again, Scripture permeates these. Jesus himself, what did he describe as our relationship with him? I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, that's a long-term thing. If, if, if this is home, if my presence in your life is home and you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. 
But guess what? That process will be painful sometimes because sometimes I've got to prune some dead stuff. See, all this terminology he's using, it's, it's so easy to read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You might have even checked out when I started reading it because you know those, right? Oh yeah, for the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. There's probably even a song you could sing along with me, you know, to, to remember the fruit. But like he's saying, guys, if you plant your life in me, if you choose to live a life rooted in my grace, where I am home for you, I want you to be able to anticipate what you can expect it to produce. You can anticipate that I'm going to grow this kind of fruit in your life. I have something for you and your family to enjoy. In fact, in fact he's saying, Thomas, I'm going to do your wife Bethany a favor that if you'll be planted in me, she'll get to enjoy this fruit in your life. That over time, if you live a life rooted in the grace of God, that your house now gets to enjoy love being present. The peace of God reigning. Joy even when things are hard. Guys, this has been, this has been a hard year in my life. I mean, I know it's been a hard year for all of us, but I'm just saying, for me, it's been hard. It's been hard for my kids this year. I can also tell you, we've experienced some moments of great joy spending time together at home. In the midst of the season that we're living in that is not the most ideal, there's still good fruit to be enjoyed. Grace produces health and growth. And so if I'm alive because of the Spirit of God showed up in my life and set me free from an old way of living. Old striving, old sins. That, that same Spirit, that same grace of God, it is now present in my life to grow and produce something good. Will I choose to be rooted and grounded in the grace of God? And so if I live by the Spirit, let me keep in step with the Spirit. Friends, we have, we have a conscious decision, a conscious choice that we can make daily. Am I gonna be in God's presence today? Am I gonna live in that awareness that he is home, that his grace is available for me today? And I wanna, I wanna enjoy that. I wanna be in it. Now, I wanna kind of start moving into um, talking about how we interact with each other as it relates to grace. Because it's easy to think of grace in the context of my relationship with God and his empowering presence to think, okay, this means I get away. You know, I come to church and maybe I get encouraged by a message that reminds me about grace. Maybe I get away from my family and have some private time with the Lord and receive some grace and then, okay, now I can go face the real world and hopefully some of that grace attaches itself to me and I can... Go face reality. But friends, a lot of the way that the presence of God shows up in our lives and produces grace in us is actually in relationship with each other. And so I want you to see what Paul talks about now here in Ephesians as he is also talking about grace and the power of God showing up in our lives. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This little description he gives there is at the beginning of two and a half chapters where he unpacks this call to unity in our relationships. He talks about it broadly for the body of Christ. He talks to spouses, talks about parents and their kids. (coughs) Excuse me. Life in the spirit, the life of grace that we are called to, it's meant to be experienced in community. The grace of God plays out in our relationships with one another. Friends, one of the biggest ways that we can grow in the grace of God is to purpose to live intentionally in relationship. Because if I intend to actually live life being Alex Hawkins' friend, caring for him, praying for him, being committed to his life, I'm gonna realize really quick that either he's stuck on his own and I'm stuck on my own and it's gonna be a battle at times. I mean, we enjoy being buds, but, or I'm gonna realize, God, I need your grace for this. If I'm really gonna love Alex well, if I'm gonna walk in unity, God, I'm gonna need your grace to do this. See, God will actually allow us to be in challenging circumstances that are good for us. I remember I had a friend, Brian Ray. Um, he's, he's a missionary now in Mexico, but for a while he was working at Grace Chapel and Leapers Fork. He was doing college ministry, but he worked on landscaping out at the church and just kept the property looking beautiful. Like that was his job. And I remember I had this, this tree that was in our yard and I was trying to figure out like, man, it was pretty thin. Like it wasn't a, a baby, baby tree, but it was still pretty thin. I felt like it blew a lot when the wind was coming. So I talked to him about it a little bit. He was trying to get a sense of how, how big it was or whatever. And so he was like, hey, based on like the size and the health of that tree, you actually should not tie any extra stakes to it because you're, you're not doing it a favor that the strength of the trunk of that tree, it's actually gonna get stronger if it learns to stand up to the wind that comes with storms. Like it's not small enough and young enough anymore where it's gonna snap it or pull it out of the ground. It's actually gonna help it. And so if you remove those stakes and take off those supporting wires or strings or whatever and just and let, let it learn to stand, when it's getting blown around, that's actually making it stronger. When Jesus invites us to live in community with each other, it's putting us in a position like that. Relationships are not always gonna be easy. But God says, my spirit is in you personally, but my spirit permeates the body. And so my grace shows up. And so now you have grace, you have power to face this situation. You can let that go. Or you can go have that hard conversation, but you're gonna do it in love because I'm gonna give you what you need to have that conversation. Or you're gonna have some humility and admit that really is the sun and not the moon. Or whatever, you know, the case may be. But he gives us grace to walk this stuff out. 
And here's the beauty, guys, and this is something I, I fear we miss out on. When we purpose to live that way, we open ourselves up to experiencing something really cool. I now get to experience grace that would come through Bart's life into mine. I get to experience God's grace through someone else in my life. It becomes tangible and real. So it's not just that he puts us in relationship to force us to grow. He puts us in relationship so we can experience his grace in tangible ways from one another. Do do y'all see this? Are you getting a taste of this? And so I want to close with this. The third thing grace does, it, it sets us free, it produces health and growth, Grace brings victory. Grace brings victory. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. That's his empowering presence. So God gives us strength for the fight. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Oh, schemes of the devil. Okay, so who am I fighting? Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Friends, we need to hear that in the church. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's it's time for us to wake up to the fact that our own flesh and the world around us is constantly trying to tell us who the enemy is. And it's always that person over there on that side. But God says that is not the real battle. The real battle is on a spiritual level. It's with the enemy that wants to rip me off and you off and the people out there that we're going to encounter. And so he's saying, know the real enemy and keep your focus there. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, when we clash with each other, there's something else going on underneath it. The reality is the person that I feel like is my enemy in any given moment, they're not the real enemy. They're a child of God created in the image of God And God wants to pour out grace in their life and he wants to pour out grace in my life and I have an opportunity to recognize what the real battle is here. Now, I can't make decisions for them, but I can decide that I will remember who the real enemy is and that God gives me grace for the fight. And so that enables me then to extend grace to someone who's not an enemy. They're a child of God. And I wonder how many enemies would become brothers, would become sisters, would become friends if we realize where the real fight lies. There might be ways of thinking or believing or living that are broken, but the people that we encounter are not the enemy. Every person we encounter has been marked with the image of God And he longs to extend grace into their life. And so grace empowers me to see victory. Over the enemy I battle internally that wants to rip me off. And over the enemy that comes in and wants to rip apart the church. 
break down relationships. Friends, grace will enable us to stop seeing each other as enemies and to realize there's a real enemy that longs to steal, kill, and destroy. But that God has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly, that we can walk in victory. I want to leave you with this verse. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Friends, my hope and prayer is that we would be rooted in the grace of God, that we would realize that his gracious presence has delivered me from the present evil day, that it empowers me to learn a new way to live, the way of love, and that my home is in the presence of the Father of grace and that the people that I encounter, that they are not the enemy, but they, they are an opportunity for the grace of God to show up in my life. Maybe because he's gonna extend grace through me to them. Maybe because he wants to extend some of his grace to me through them. Often, probably a little bit of both is what he's after Friends, my my hope and prayer for each of us is that our lives would be permeated with the grace and power of God. And it's found in his presence. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of your grace. Lord, I, I pray that as we've walked through what's available to us this morning, God, that we, even in this, we don't fall in this pattern of like, well, there's the list of stuff I need to do now to experience grace. God, I pray we wouldn't do that. Lord, that we would just recognize that you are present and available. Jesus, that you have rescued us and you are growing us and you're helping us step into places of victory in this life. God, may we live with an awareness that you are good and that you are present and available and that your grace is beyond our wildest imagination to set us free from traps that we fall into and to help us be who you've called us to be. To live healthy, growing, thriving, godly lives. And Lord, to see victory show up more and more as we are set free from old ways of living and thinking and as we see you redeem lives and relationships around us. God, I pray you'd bring some fresh grace even into some relationships now that we recognize are off, are broken. God, by your grace, would you empower us to see some freedom, to see some growth, to see some victory. God, thank you that you are present with us. May we walk in step with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.